Hello, everyone. Happy Thursday, June 16th. We're almost through another full week of episodes for the Locked On Penguins podcast. For today's episode, we're going to continue the season reviews, the player grades at least. We'll get to John Marino today as we continue our rank through the defensive core. We'll talk about how he did this season, especially in the playoffs, what the team should do with him over the offseason. Should they use him as trade bait? Should they keep him? And if they do keep him, what do I expect from him? next season um we're also going to do a little bit of the stanley cup final um from wednesday night um and look at a certain article that josh yoey from the athletic wrote today um about uh jack johnson and yes probably for the first time in two three years well i shouldn't say that probably for the first time in well over a year um we are going to have a segment dedicated to him um and just some thoughts overall from that article and just it's penguins related and it's 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 a, it was a very interesting read um with how josh was talking about you know the signing uh, the infamous signing of course otherwise and i also have a couple other things for the last segment for the show so it's all coming up right after this drop you're locked on penguins your daily podcast on the pittsburgh penguins part of the locked on podcast network your team every day hello happy thursday welcome back to another episode of the locked on penguins podcast i am your host hunter hodes remember to follow me on twitter at hunter hodes you can also follow the show's twitter at lo underscore penguins and of course thank you all so much for making this your first listen of the day so let's jump right into this episode, and uh, we'll get to our season review of John Marino. So um, another season and the books for him. Um, he's officially starting his massive long-term commitment to this team when Jim Rutherford signed him to that. Um, <clears throat> he was at that six-year term, uh, $4.4 million per. And, you know, so far, hasn't lived up to it yet. Um, <clears throat> this season, I thought, overall, um, he was good defensively. And, you know, he's been like that. Know, throughout his career, you know, this season, we when he's on ice, the Penguins had close to 52% of the shot attempts, break even goals for scoring chances, 51.4% for the Penguins when he was on the ice, high danger chances, 52.2% of those. That's the best he's had since 2019-20. Actual high danger goals for 26, 27 against. So right around 50-50 for that. Um, you know, in my opinion, he was better this season than he was last year. Um, even strength offense, though, you know, that's that's the big thing where he's kind of a black hole for me. Um, if you go on um, HockeyViz.com um, with Micah Blake McCurdy stuff and you subscribe to him, and I can't recommend his site enough to everyone to anyone that wants to, you know, dive into analytics a little more and just to see them as a useful tool to help evaluating a player. Um, even strength offense for Marino, um, minus 0.29 expected goals for per 60 when he was on the ice. Um, if you look in front of the net, it is a blue hole, which is bad. You know, you want all that area to be red, which means you're generating more chances than the average player. Um, this, this this is well below average uh, than the average player. Um, the only part that's red in the offensive zone is um, right outside the dots, like about, mm, about maybe 20, 25 feet outside the net, a little bit of red. Um, to the left side of the point. Otherwise, um, it, it's it's a black hole. Now, defensively, again, he was showing defense, um, minus 0.1 expected goals against. Not a lot of red, honestly, in the defensive zone. Um, 
it's mostly just it, there's a lot of blue there, and and that's that's what you want defensively. That means that he's not giving up a lot of scoring chances and shot attempts against that could lead to goals. Um, you know, he's doing his job with Marcus Pedersen, and I think that's probably um, one of the more underrated pairings uh, league-wide. I think him and Pedersen are so great together. They suppress shots at a very high level. Um, and, and if both are on the team next year, um, I'll be really curious to see how they can continue to, you know, go off of what they did um, this year. Penalty kill, um, you know, he doesn't usually take a lot of penalties, but he he does kill penalties on this team. And, you know, the, the only main chances – for the opposition in the zone, center point right there. Nothing in front of the net, nothing at the two dots, nothing even 15 to 20 feet out. Um, He does a very nice job of clearing the net there, power play, um, not really too much there uh, to say the least. But yeah, I mean, if this and this is, this is who Marino is at this point in his career. Is the elite defensively? Yes, you know what you're going to get from him with that. Offensively though, it's it's a work in progress. I'm sorry to say. I mean, well, I really shouldn't even say a work in progress. I mean, he's just it's it's year three now, and his offense got worse this year. I mean, he only had one goal, and I'm pretty sure that came in October or November um, of the season. The fact that I can't even remember that goal off the top of my head just goes to show how limited he was offensively this year, and how that's probably going to be uh, moving forward. You know, I remember after his rookie year, um, which was so promising. I mean, you know, he was remember he was probably going to get some Calder Trophy consideration if he did not break his cheekbone. I believe that came with only, I want to say that was about a month, month and a half left in the season, and he was generating quite a bit of buzz. I mean, I was potentially, if I had a vote, I was potentially going to put him on my ballot, um, but gets the injury, misses most of the end of the uh, regular season, comes back for the last week or two, plays well, but you know, it's just that kind of injury is, is such a killer because – you know, other players were able to step up um, and, and, you know, they were able to do their job a bit better and just in the time because Marino was not playing. Um, second season goes down a little bit, not himself. I think that's partly due to playing with Mike Matheson. A lot of those minutes, I don't really understand why Mike Sullivan decided to do that. This year, you saw him play Marcus Pedersen most of the time. And, you know, that that, that, that pairing was very, very good. Um, to say the least. So, and I, in fact, I can try to find the um, the teammate here, teammates here. Um, you know, he 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 is what he is at this point. I, I don't mind having him on the team. I, again, I think he's great at preventing zone entries. Um, I think he's good at exiting the zone. Um, the only thing I wish is that he just provided more offense. I mean, I, I hate that the Penguins blue line right now, at least, only has Chris Letang and Mike Matheson as the two offensive. Um, playmakers, and then there's four other players who are basically just defense first players. I think in a perfect world, you want three of each. Um, you know, I, I don't really care what side they're on, but you know, in my view, I would want three offensive distributors from the point, and then three other players who can, you know, maybe not provide as much offense, but you know, give it right back defensively with how well they can play in their own zone. That, that that's how I would construct my defensive core. Um, to say the least, but you know, I think right now the Penguins, it's it's a little bit of a weird uh, ratio to say the least, which is why I think you know one of these players is probably going to get moved um, over the offseason. You know, maybe it's for to put POJ up there, maybe it's to go out and sign a cheaper free agent that's maybe a bit better offensively. I, I don't know, but um, with regards to Marino, at least, um, you know, I would put him out there as trade bait. You know, I could I would see you know what is his value around the league. You know, do do 
some GMs see a lot of upside in this player because he's only played three full seasons in the NHL. He's still relatively young in his early 20s. You know, what it's I'm curious to see here, you know, what, you know, and if that was a little noisy there, my dryer decided to go off right as I'm finishing my segment here. So that's just that, that that's perfect timing. But, you know, that's that's the big kicker here. Um, what is his value around the league? I, I think they can honestly get a forward back for him, you know, probably that can play in the top. And I remember, you know, Vancouver was discussing him during the trade deadline, I'm pretty sure. And I, I think they weren't really willing to give – I think they were potentially willing back to give back a forward, but I think the Penguins were kind of like, you know, <clears throat> you know, we, we don't want to give up a player that can really help us right now. I mean, you know, sure, they did that with Zach Aston Reese. And they did that with Dominic Simone, but you know those are also two bottom six forwards. But you know, I didn't. I don't think they really wanted to give up a top four defenseman, especially with Chris Letang um, potentially um, out of the door. Um, so I thought they made the right call to keep him. Um, I would shop him though. But if you don't, if you're not getting what you want to get from him, just probably a forward. You know, you can pull back, go into next season with him as the second right-handed um, defenseman. And I, I think that's perfectly fine. I think he showed enough this season that he can um, still play. And, you know, he's still mostly fine on the blue line. Again, I, I want more offense from him. But at this point, uh, I'm not really holding my breath, um, to say the least. So that wraps up this first segment of the Locked on Penguins podcast. Coming up in the second segment, we're going to get into the Stanley Cup final and that interesting Jack Johnson story that I saw um, on The Athletic. But before we get to that, you know our friends at Build are always coming out with amazing new flavors. Well, this time Build has truly outdone themselves with their new mud pie flavor. And for the first time ever, Build is introducing the new mud pie flavor in both mud pie bar and mud pie puff. Not sure what mud pie tastes like? Well, if you're a chocolate fan, you're better, you better sit down for this. The new mud pie bar is rich whipped cream and chocolate mouse smothered in 100% real chocolate and it's topped with cookies and cream crumble. You've got to try the mud pie as soon as possible and you need to hurry because the mud pie bar and the mud pie puff are only available for a limited time. You can visit built.com to taste the deliciousness for yourself. And if you're not convinced, luckily we save the best for last. It's actually good for you. And no, seriously, all built products are low calories, high protein, low sugar. Mud pie is packed with 16 grams of protein, and only 150 calories and eight grams of sugar. It's like your mom baked the most deliciously creamy chocolate mud pie and wrapped it up just for you. They're available at built.com right now, but they're going fast because they are delicious. You can go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, we're back here on this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I am your host, Hunter Hodes. You want to follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. You can also follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore penguins. Okay, so again, you know, this is probably the first time in over a year that I am going to discuss the infamous Jack Johnson contract and the player, of course, that is Jack Johnson. So Josh Odia of The Athletic wrote a pretty co cool story this morning, you know, about Johnson, you know, his time in Pittsburgh, you know, talk, talk to Jim Rutherford um, and all that stuff. If I can just find this here um, <clears throat> on my Twitter. Um, and, you know, Josh basically just writes in his story, you know, he, he you know, I, I hope he wins the cup and then he calls it a career. And he had some interesting information about Johnson 
in this story. And, you know, he's right about this. You know, they gave Johnson a five-year contract. They were under no obligation to do so. There was no bidding war. He was viewed around the league as a declining player whose underlying numbers would un undermine a team's championship hopes more than augment them. He says, I've spoken with Rutherford at times about the contract. To this day, he still doesn't regret it. Shocker. I know. I'm not shocked at that. Um, and Rutherford even said to him he could still play, could still kill penalties and help a team win. And he is a character guy. And of course, that's that that's what he says. But this is this is the big kicker here in Josh's story. I truly believe that Rutherford felt like he was being something of a father of a father figure to Johnson based on what happened. Um, he surely was aware that other teams were knocking down Johnson's door with long-term offers. My, he then goes to say, My belief is that Johnson wanted to set him up for life. My, my belief is Rutherford wanted to set Johnson up for life, excuse me, to make sure he was taken care of. It's not every day that a pro athlete loses most of his money to his parents. The whole story, yeah, you can find that story um, by Aaron Portsline on The Athletic or, you know, just do a couple Google searches and stuff. It's actually a very sad story in all seriousness. I know people joke about it on social media, um, especially when he was here, but in all seriousness, that is a very sad story. And his parents just totally, you know, screwed him over. That, that That's that's the nice way of saying it. I'm not going to cuss on this podcast here, um, but that's that, that's the nice way of putting it, um, to say the least. And, you know, I think the biggest thing of Johnson's tenure, and, and I said this when I started the podcast, I think he was really only here um, when I was really first starting out the show. And of course they bought him out and that was probably one of the greatest days in the show's history. Um, but, you know, I, I gave him a chance because, hey, you know, I've ate crow plenty of times. I'm willing to do that again. But, you know, sure enough, um, what what I thought was going to happen came to pass, and he was not good. And sadly, a lot of us, you know, fans, other media members, saw this coming. But the biggest thing about the Johnson era in Pittsburgh was the lies that people told to the fan base. And what I mean by people, I mean by certain media members. It was not one or two people in the city of Pittsburgh that were doing it. It was multiple. And they would always be, they would all, they would either just try to be a contrarian for the sake of doing that access journalism, you know, Jim Rutherford being able to, they don't want to lose, you know, talking to Jim Rutherford and all this other stuff. And at the end of the day, I, I guess shilling is probably the best word for it. And it wasn't like a, a committee was formed to be like the Jack Johnson, the, the, the defending committee, but it was a bit weird how, and I'm not going to name names here. I don't, I'm not like that kind of person, but it was it was more than one or two media members in this city that would always defend him, defend Jim Rutherford, say it was a good signing, but yet I test and analytics-wise, um, he stunk. You know, no, there was no reason to give him that five-year term. And by all accounts, he is a great guy on and off the ice. You know, he's probably a very nice dude. I've heard nothing but great stories about him, but at the end of the day. The Penguins screwed themselves by signing him. He was that freaking bad in the return to play series against the Montreal Canadiens when he had depth players basically just owning him on a nightly basis in that series. Literally, his pairing with Justin Schultz was one of the worst pairings I think I've ever seen in a playoff series. I, I'm not even being – I'm not even joking there. It was – the two other pairings at that time, Dumoulin Latang. Pretty sure it was Pedersen Marino. They were do they were they were fine, but otherwise, 
Um, that pairing, every time they were on the ice, it was either a scoring chance against or a goal was in the back of their net. And, you know, sure, you can also put it on Mike Sullivan, you know, for icing that pairing. And, you know, you definitely can because there's probably no reason for either of those two players to be playing. But you can also fault the general manager for, you know, just signing A, Schultz to, you know, that kind of extension and also B, Johnson to that contract. And, you know, Rutherford's tenure here was always very weird. Um, you know, had a great 18-month stretch where he was killing it. And then after that, just totally barfed all over himself, including with the Johnson signing. And, you know, then he just quit on the franchise. Um, I think at the end of the day, that's really what you can say about him. Um, and, you know, the Penguins, they're still paying for it with that Johnson contract. They, they had to buy that. They had to buy him out. And I, it's going to be at least the next couple of years until he is off their payroll. It, it, it's, it's funny. The Penguins are paying him right now to be in the Stanley Cup final. That's how pathetic it is. And again, you know, I hope honestly he's the first guy to get the cup if Colorado wins. I hope when Nathan McKinnon gets it, if the Avs win, he skates it right up to John, Jack Johnson and be like, hey man, here's here's the Stanley Cup. And I hope he skates it around the ice and just looks like the happiest kid on earth. I I I truly hope for that. I, I'm, I'm not even being um, facetious here. Um, you know, it would be pretty cool. And I would, I would love to see you know, just, just, just what the Yinzers in this city say, um, <clears throat> excuse me, just what they say either, you know, in person with each other or on social media, because it would be truly hilarious. And, you know, I think my buddy, um, J underscore 155, um, Jason, and I've shouted him out numerous times on this podcast. He, he has done, um, <clears throat> an incredible job with explaining the Jack Johnson situation. And, you know, he, he had a great thread on it on his Twitter today. As, and I, as I just said, you know, we, you know, Jack Johnson is a good person, but, you know, we just, we still can't ignore the propaganda campaign justifying the acquisition and then telling everyone like, oh my God, you, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just a stupid fan who you, you, you just look at the numbers. You don't know him as like a, an actual person, character guy. He's going to blow you all away and all this other stuff. But, but again, you know, what came, what I thought came to pass, what I thought was going to happen came to pass and he stunk. And at the end of the day, a lot of the very <clears throat> vocal majority of the fans were right. Now, should he have been the scapegoat on everything? Absolutely not. But the people that would always rush to defend him, you know, every, every time like a goal was scored against the Penguins, even when he was not on the ice, you know, I would see media members, you know, just be smart butts and just be like, Oh, Jack Johnson's fault. Oh, hey, this is Jack Johnson's fault. Right. I'm like, you guys don't have to be just fools for the sake of being fools. I mean, we only, the people that were in that category only give out criticism when it's warranted. And I felt like when he did screw up, which was pretty often, I thought, um, you know, he deserved it. And, you know, I'm not going to fault someone like Johnson for taking that kind of contract. I mean, five years, three and a half million, who wouldn't take that contract? But it was still an, egreg an egregious move that really screwed over the Penguins for, you know, at least two full seasons. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Sid and Gino were still a lot younger at that time. They could have really went all in and maybe gotten some, you know, better players to come in, especially on the defensive side of the puck and, you know, also forward-wise. But, you know, they had a GM that was just basically throwing stuff at the wall and hoping that it stuck. And, you know, this was one of them, and it, it didn't work out for them. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm glad the Avalanche are in the Stanley Cup final, and, and I do wish uh, for Jack Johnson um, to, you know, walk off into the sunset here 
when the cop called her career. I mean, I think that's really what he's missing at this point. And, you know, sure, he the only reason he's in the lineup is because Sam Gerrard um, <clears throat> is not playing. But, you know, I, I, I still wish the best for him, and, and, I, and I do think he is a good person. So that wraps up this second segment of today's episode. Coming up in the third segment, I'm going to get into something that uh, I listened to on um, – uh, DK's daily shot of the penguins um, of DK Pittsburgh sports. Um, it was one of his just J one Qs that he runs. And it was an interesting topic that um, there's a potential free agent that the penguins could be going after. So I'm going to get to my thoughts on that and whether um, the penguins should sign him coming up here in this next segment. All right. I'm back here on this episode of the locked on penguins podcast. I am your host, Hunter Hodes. You to follow me on Twitter, Hunter Hodes. You can also follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore penguins. Um, so, I was listening to DK's Daily Shot. This was on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday morning. And someone asked um, DK, you know, what free agent are you looking for for the Penguins to go after? And he always says he loves getting that question. But he threw out the name. And if you listen to it, you probably already know. But if you didn't, I'll throw out the name right now. He said he wouldn't be surprised if the Penguins go out and get Zach Aston Reese again. And he said it's because Mike Sullivan absolutely loves him. He said Ron Hextall absolutely loves him and you know it, it sounds like they never really wanted to um give him up um uh, i almost lost my train of thought when they were getting the ricard raquel trade but uh, the ricard raquel deal excuse me but you know that's that's the price you pay when you want to go out and get a top six to top nine winger um but you know he's dk says he'll be cheap and you know he might be right i would say with that because he doesn't bring um, a lot of offense. You know, he he came over um, to Anaheim, played in 17 games, um, doubled up his goal total. Yeah, two goals in 17 games, only one goal in 52 games for the Penguins this season. Uh, underlying numbers when he went over to Anaheim, when he was on the ice, the Ducks had 46% of the shot attempts. Um, but basically break even and actual goals, four goals against 48% of the expected goals scoring chances. got caved in a little bit, 45.6% of those high danger chances though. Um, he broke even 50.6% and he was only on the ice for two high danger goals again. So defensively, um, he is still a rock for them and you know, he would be cheap, you know, at the end of that, you could probably get him for a million to 1.5, but you know, I kind of want fresh blood in, from another team. I mean, sure, you know, it would make sense because he is one of their best penalty killers. You know, nothing really happens in the defensive zone um, when he is on the ice. But offensively, he just doesn't do enough for me to justify bringing him back. And, you know, at the end of the day, if they do bring him back, I'm not going to be super upset about that. I'll just be like, well, you know, I kind of saw it coming, especially with talking about it on, on the podcast and listening to it on DK's Daily Shot. Um, but I still feel like you can get bargain level contracts for, you know, good defensive players and someone who can provide a little more offense um, for maybe a little, little more than, you know, 1.5. I think the Penguins would have the cap space to, um, you know, give out like a one year two to $2.1 million contract to someone um, in free agency. But, you know, I'm not surprised to hear that Sullivan does love Aston Reese. I mean, he would always, you know, ice him in pretty big situations down the stretching games, you know, remember last year against the Islanders in the playoffs, right? You know, when the Penguins were trying to ice a game, Aston Reese, Bluger, Tanev go out, feed them to the Wolves, and they wouldn't usually do their job. They, they were probably 
I would say the best fourth, arguably the best fourth line in hockey. Um, after he did leave the team, I, I will say the penalty kill did struggle. So he would be a good asset back there. And, you know, forward line wise, I mean, I mean, I would probably have him in the lineup over someone like Brian Boyle. Um, I think that would be perfectly fine in my opinion, but you know, with Boyle being a UFA and you know, with other players being UFAs as well in the bottom six, I feel like the team um, can and they should do better. But you know, this is Ron Hextall we're talking about here. So at the end of the day, um, he, he always loves going after people he knows. Um, he he even said he you know he thanked Ashton Reese for being a great Penguin. He he also said he didn't really want to deal him in the deal but again that, that's the price you pay when you're when you're in a win now mode he is a ufa so he can sign anywhere he wants um but how much he loved um being a penguin i think and how much i think again he's loved by the by everyone i think on this team would not be surprised if he takes a hometown discount to come back here you know maybe, maybe you could put him back on the fourth line with bluger and mcginn if if mcginn is back too um you figure out what you can do on the third line if captain doesn't come back Maybe you resign Hine and Rodriguez, um, all, all those guys. And, you know, if, if your top six is something like Gensel, Crosby, Rust, you know, Malkin with, I don't know, Zucker, another winger, and maybe a different winger on Malkin's line. And you have a third line of, you know, Hine and Rodriguez and Carter. And then maybe your fourth line is Astonis Bluger. Um, again, I almost. Bosch Brock McGinn's name, you know, that's still a pretty deep team, but, you know, I, I still want to see them make changes to that third line. So, you know, his underlines, they weren't overly terrible, even with the Penguins this year, um, you know, um, right around 50% in shot attempts when he was on the ice, 60% of the actual goals for, for the Penguins, 51% of the high danger chances for, he was on the, on the ice for nine high danger goals against in 52 games. I mean, those are um, pretty good um, numbers uh, to say the least. So, let me know, what do you all think of a potential Aston Reese reunion? Would you bring him back? If you would, what kind of contract would you sign up to? Let me know in the comments. You can DM me on social media, um, all that. So that will do it for this um, episode of the Locked on Penguins podcast. I, again, appreciate every one of you listening to the show. And I'll be back on Friday with another episode of this podcast. From Monday and Tuesday next week, I won't be in my normal house. I am taking a vacation with my family to Florida for a few days. So um, you all will get a nice view for the video portion um of the episodes to start at least to start the week um but again that'll do it for this episode appreciate all of you listening to this one and i'll be back with another episode on friday